0: Our scripture passage for today comes from proverbs chapter 25 verse 28 and proverbs chapter 16 verse 32 a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls proverbs 16 32 whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city this is the word of our lord thanks be to god amen thanks be to god hey good morning everyone what a beautiful crowd that we're seeing today here in person. And for those of you who are able to make it online, thank you for being patient as we dealt with some technical difficulties. But now let's pray for God to bless our time together. Father, as we celebrate the fathers that are part of our community, we only do so because they point to the greatest father of all, which is you, our Lord, our King. God, we thank you that before you are creator, before you are king, before you are the sovereign one, You are our Heavenly Father, and we, before we are servants, before we are your creatures, we are your children, that you have shaped and formed into the image of your Son. And we pray now that in light of the work of the Son, our dear brother Jesus Christ, that once again we can be assured of your great fatherly love for us. For as your Spirit who dwells within can give confirmation and conviction of that truth, we ask that we would be assured of it yet again, For, Lord, there is so much going on in this world, so much going on in our lives where we are easily tempted to forget that beautiful truth and be feeling as if we are lost and fending for ourselves as orphans. But, God, assure us once again of your mercy and your grace, and that you would speak to us today, for we need to hear your comforting and convicting words. Would you shape us now through the preaching of the word, and that you would bless it in spite of the one who brings it. For we ask in Jesus' name, Amen and amen. All right. Well, just as we did a month ago for our moms, so we are doing for our dads today. And that is we want to give glory to God by recognizing the fathers of our community. And so, dads, on behalf of your wives, on behalf of your children, on behalf of your church, let me just say, Happy Father's Day, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Oh, how we love you. We appreciate you. And guess what? We need you. We need you. Yeah, we do. Fathers, if there's anything that you need to get from today's sermon, it is that very idea that we desperately, truly need you, Dads. We so, so, so need you. Now, as a father myself, I know what you Dads are feeling in light of that heavy statement. Probably feelings that I hear, I feel when I hear such words, feelings of insecurity. Feelings of doubt, feelings of worry, maybe even feelings of fear. Why? Because the idea of being responsible for the needs of another, i.e. your own children, can be some of the most daunting and terrifying things that a human being could ever attempt. Case in point, one of the most glorious joys that I have of being a dad is seeing my children eat their food and enjoying their food. I don't know what it is, but during dinner time, sometimes I'll just stop eating and I'll stare at each and every one of my five kids as they take every morsel of food off their plate and they go, mmm. It just fills me with a sense of joy that hardly any other experience has ever compared with or competed with. Fathers, can you relate to that? If you can, then I am sure you can also relate to the underlying anxiety that's always tethered to those joyful moments, that sense of pressure, that sense of anxiety, that that weight on your shoulders that you need to make sure that you can keep providing these kinds of joyful moments, right? See, doing the work of a dad is one of the most pressure-filled, arduous tasks that a human being could ever attempt because, as I said before, being responsible for the crucial and vital needs of someone else can get so overwhelming, And as a result, that means we need to know the needs that that need to be required and fulfilled by us towards our family. And today, I want to highlight a crucial need that your family has of you, dads, a need that so often many of us don't even know that we need to fulfill. Do you know what need I'm referring to? The need for you to be self-controlled. Fathers, hear me when I say this. If there is any need that your family needs of you, more than any other, is that they need for you to be a self-controlled person. Now, I know, Dad, you're hearing that, and you might not agree, because so often we've been trained by our society that says that the only things that we need to be in control of as father are things outside of us. For example, we say that as dads, we need to be in control of our work life. Because by being in control of our work life, we can financially provide for our family. Or we say as fathers, we need to be in control of our family's home life. We need to make sure that our children live in safe families, that our children attend good neighborhood school systems, that our children have opportunities and privileges that maybe we did not have for their further development. You see, so often we tend to reduce the area that we are responsible in controlling as merely things outside of us, never inside of us. And yet, as we'll see in today's sermon, one of the things that the Bible clearly teaches is that out of all the needs that your family requires of you to fulfill, there is none that is as great as for you to possess and to practice self-control. Self-control. And because that is true, we're going to continue our study through the book of Proverbs because in this book are two beautiful verses, two Proverbs that uniquely help us understand how we are to process self-control, and therefore how we are to practice it, okay? So fathers, this message is especially tailored for you, but it's applicable to all of us, whether you are a father or not, okay? So three things that the book of Proverbs tells us about self-control. First, it's going to tell us about the priority for self-control. Then it's going to talk about the enemy of self-control, and then we're going to end it with the savior who provides self-control the priority for self-control the enemy of self-control and finally the savior who provides self-control let's begin first the priority for self-control because our two passages are very short let's read it all together and it goes as following a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls whoever is slow to anger is better than the almighty and he who excuse me not the almighty then the mighty and he who rules his spirit then he who takes A city. Come on back. Now, just from a surface reading of these two verses, it is clear that the main topic of discussion is self-control. Okay? But here's something else that you might have noticed. In both of these two different verses, the author, King Solomon, also talks about the city. The city. Isn't that interesting? Why in the world does King Solomon associate self-control with this image of the city? Well... In order to answer that question, you have to understand how the Bible understands the purpose of the city from God's perspective. And so to do so, I draw your attention to Psalm 107, where starting in verse 4, we read, Some wandered in desert wasteland, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty, and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind, for he satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. It turns out that the city was originally designed by God to be his instrument of expressing his love for mankind because it would be through the city that he would dispense his blessings to man. Blessings like home, shelters, food, comfort, security, friends family god originally intended for the city to be his instrument of love by dispensing blessings to man and yet i know you hear that dads and that sounds ludicrous doesn't it because it is so different to how we experience the city especially if you're talking about our city right new york where droves of company are leaving at fast rates where friends and family seem to be moving on out of state week by week it just seems that the city seems more like an instrument of satan to express his hatred of mankind because it is through the city that we seem to be exposed to the curses of life. Curses like homelessness, hunger, addiction, right, violence, families being torn apart. And yet it's for that very reason that Solomon associates the city with self-control. Because here's what he's trying to get at. What he's trying to tell us is that when a person lacks self-control, they will suffer the same troubles as a person does who lives in the worst parts of the city. In other words, when a person lacks self-control, they are just as susceptible to the tragedies of life like homelessness and hunger and addiction and broken relationships as a person is likely to experience those things in the darkest ghettos of the inner city. And this is something that, as Christians, I think we need to grasp this point. Because let's be honest, dads, many of us, We simply do not prioritize self-control, do we? Oh, we'll prioritize other things. We'll prioritize getting into a good school, you know, getting a good, decent job, marrying a beautiful woman, because we think prioritize these things will give us the blessings that Psalm 107 says the city will provide. And yet what's so ironic is that we don't prioritize what the Bible says ensures these blessings more than those other priorities I just mentioned. We simply do not prioritize self-control and i'll prove it to you by highlighting three common areas where many of us christian dads struggle self-control in just three to highlight number one alcohol alcohol some of us dads have a real problem with alcohol now by saying this i am not implying that drinking in and of itself is a sin but the way some of you dads drink it is a sin why because you don't control your intake of the alcohol, and therefore you lose control of yourself because of the alcohol. And as a result, words that should never be spoken are said, hands that should never be lifted up against someone are, and behaviors that should never come out of a Christian man does. What is that? That is a lack of self-control. Now before any of you dads in you accuse me of being judgmental towards you, hey, I'll return the favor by judging myself. Because another common area where we dads struggle self-control with is our temper. I'll be the first to confess. I'll be the first to admit, I have an anger problem. I spew. I vent. I lose it, even against those who I dearly love. Just a couple weeks ago, is she here? I lost it with my wife, Sarah. Over what, you may ask? What the world? uh, Pastor John, you're such a godly man. What in the world could cause you to lose it with her? A bookcase. I got angry over a bookcase at my wife, okay? Someone who I would gladly give my life for, I lost over a bookcase, right? And here's what's the most insidious part of it. I felt bad when I blew up on her. But you know what? I didn't feel as bad as I would imagine I would feel if I did something particularly atrocious to my eyes, like, you know, being unfaithful to her committing adultery. Do you know why? because I like so many of you dads tend to minimize the anger I tend to excuse it oh I've had a rough day things at church are difficult stress is just on me not getting enough sleep and as a result I tend to see the sin of my anger as kind of a understandable sin or respectable sin right dad how about you do you do that as well Do you have a tendency to just go snap off on somebody and just lose it, especially your loved ones? And do you furthermore tend to minimize it, thinking, oh, you know, at least it's not stealing or killing someone? Hold on to that thought as you consider what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount about our anger. Because in Matthew 5.22, you know what he says there? He says that the anger that we typically exhibit as dads would make us worthy of the darkest, fieriest pits of hell. Clearly, I think from our master's perspective, we need to get better control of our anger. One more area where we as dads don't have much control over, our appetites, our appetites. Whether you're talking about our literal appetites, where we eat too much of something that we can and eating things that we should not, or maybe our biological appetites, giving in to certain indulgences and fantasies and desires that we shouldn't, or maybe our recreational appetites, right? Where we spend too many hours in front of the game console, too many hours in front of the TV, too many hours staring at our phones, too many hours hanging out with the friends and not enough time with our families. So many of us do not control ourselves when it comes to our recreational appetites because we're too enveloped in them. Father, if that is you, you need to pay attention. If you don't control that area of your life, you are dooming your children. I came across a very sobering and scary study that stated that when fathers do not spend time with their children, especially in the form of play, those children will grow up more than any other children in society of developing a wide spectrum of mental health disorders and mental illnesses. Does that scare you, Dad? It should. In fact, it should scare you enough to where you would start prioritizing what God tells us in his word we need to prioritize. We need to prioritize self-control. But, of course, that begs the question, how do we do that? Well, the answer leads me to that question, to my next point, the enemy of self-control. Let's read our two passages again, where we read, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Now, With the second reading, you might have noticed something you did not catch in the first, and that is this description of a warlike situation. Notice the reference of a city without walls and a city that has been taken. Both ideas of what an invading army would do as it conquers a neighboring city. And when you consider this warfare imagery in a discussion on self-control, that tells us something, dads. You know what it tells us? It tells us that in your efforts to maintain self-control or develop self-control, it is required of you to face an enemy. In order for you to be a man of self-control, you need to be willing to face an enemy. Now, what enemy is that, you may ask? Well, you may initially think it must be some sort of external enemy, enemy excuse me, that provokes or arouses us in such a way to where we would lose control. Maybe it's the advertising company. Maybe it's social media. Maybe it's that certain person who you work with and just gets on your nerves or that temptress, seductress, you know, who you know from your past. But if you actually read who the Bible identifies as our enemy to self-control, you come to the shocking discovery that it's not really enemy, singular, but enemies, plural. Multiple enemies. I draw your attention to Ephesians 2. We're starting in verse 2. It reads, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. Here, the Apostle Paul identifies the three enemies against Christian and specifically fathers who are trying to be self control There is obviously the devil, then there are those that he calls the powers of the unseen world, and then what he calls the sinful nature. Other parts of the Bible will refer to these three enemies in shorthanded form as simply the devil, the world, and the flesh. The devil, the world, and the flesh. Now, let me ask you, there is something different about one of these enemies from the other two enemies. Out of these three enemies, one of these is different from the other two. Do you guys know which one it is? Here's a hint. Location, location, location. One of these enemies is different in terms of its proximity to us. And do you know which one it is? It's the flesh. It's the sinful nature, right? Because where is the flesh? Where is the sinful nature located according to the Bible? It's in us, right? Which is why the New Testament sometimes refers to the sinful nature as what? Indwelling sin. It dwells in us, okay? It dwells in us. You know, it's been said by martial arts experts, which I am not, that if you ever find yourself in a very unavoidable situation where you have multiple attackers, they always say, do not, do not try to be like Tom Cruise in those Max Reacher movies. Don't try to take them all at once. Like <laughs> It doesn't work in real life, they say, right? Instead, what do they tell you? Fight one attacker at a time and make sure you first fight your greatest threat, which is who? The one closest to you, right? That is the enemy that you need to see as your greatest threat and therefore your greatest priority. And according to what it says in Proverbs, which enemy is that? It's the flesh, It's indwelling sin, okay? Consider these words from theologian Jerry Bridges as he writes, quote, The Bible speaks of three sources of temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The world, or the sinful society we live in, subtly pressures us to conform to its values and practices. It creeps up on us pervasively and relentlessly, little by little. What was once unthinkable becomes thinkable, then doable, and finally acceptable to society at large. The devil is the God of this world and the ultimate strategist behind all the temptations that come to us from society. But as dangerous as are the world and the devil, neither is our greatest problem. Our greatest source of temptation dwells within us. Though we have many enemies against us, Christian dad, Proverbs and really all of scripture tells us that the enemy that is our greatest threat and therefore the enemy we must prioritize over the others is the enemy within, our flesh, our sinful nature. And this is especially true when it comes to our attempts to develop self-control. Now let me just pause for a moment and let what I just said to you sink in. Think of the ramifications, think of the implications if what I said is true. If you are struggling with self-control, if you are failing at self-control the bible says you cannot blame the devil you cannot blame society you cannot blame your upbringing you cannot blame mommy and daddy right because as much as those things contribute to your lack of self-control they only do so because you allow these things to combine forces with the flesh inside of you creating a mighty trio An amazing triumvirate that you have no hope of winning against, and therefore you lose your self-control, you see? The enemy that you must fight against is the one that starts here and is always there in you. Now let me just uh, pause right there and bring it down a notch because I want to make this sermon as practical as possible. Okay, dads, I really want to make sure this sermon is easy to follow and practical. And So let me begin with this. Christian dads, as you begin your attempt to live a self-controlled life, okay, you must make sure that you do not attempt to reach a level of spiritual maturity or spiritual growth to where you're completely devoid and completely absent of any sort of sinful cravings or desires. Let me say that again. As you attempt to live a self-controlled life and mature in that way, make sure that you don't have it in your head to think that you can achieve a level of, of self-control where you'll never have any sort of inner sinful desires or cravings because I'm going to tell you right now that is never going to happen, okay? So long as you're on this earth until you die, you will always find within you desires that are evil, desires that are perverted, desires that are disgusting, desires that are sinful. And you need to Im- accept that not embrace it but you needed to accept it because if you don't and you think that you can achieve this kind of rocky balboa spirituality i can defeat it you are going to face defeat upon defeat upon defeat and just by the very presence just by the very awareness that you have these sinful desires is going to cause you to get so unnecessarily discouraged to the point where you may just give up and just give in to your desires no No, make sure you understand what you're really capable of and therefore have the right expectations. And the expectation that you need to have as a follower of Christ, dads, is that so long as you're on this earth, so long as you're in this current body that you have, you need to have the mentality of a lifelong warrior where you will make it every intent every day to do battle against your flesh. And the way that you do that is by making sure that you cut off your flesh from its allies, the world and the devil. You see that word wall at the end of verse 28 of Proverbs 15, right? That word wall is symbolic. It indicates what we are to do. We are to quarantine our flesh from the world and the devil, specifically in the ways that it manifests itself in our society, okay? You are to quarantine. We're quarantine now, right? We are to quarantine our flesh from external situations, external environments, external types of people and societies that would overpower us because it magnifies the power of the flesh over us to where we no longer have self-control. So let me give you some examples. If you're one of those men who has a tendency to struggle with lust, do not stay up by yourself late at night while the rest of the family is asleep where you surf the web, surf the television set going to places that you would never do if your wife was awake or if your children were around you, right? If you have a tendency to struggle with alcohol, then you don't attend those events. You don't go to those occasions. You don't participate in those gatherings where alcohol is readily available and accessible to you. If you know you have a tendency to just flip off or flip off, flip out, not flip off. Don't flip off anybody, please. But if you do flip off people, right, especially your loved ones, make sure you have that second instinct strategy to just pull away and get away from them until you calm down and chill out so you can re-engage them with love and compassion as you always wish you can we must be diligent in keeping an eye on our greatest enemy because the flesh is what gives access to the devil and the world and we need to make sure that that flesh of ours has no way of connecting to its allies to where it would destroy us and by consequence, those who we dearly love. Okay? You must fight against the flesh by making sure it does not connect with the devil in the world. That's the pathway of self-control. Now, I know many of you dads are hearing this, and maybe you agree, but maybe it's not agreeable to you. You know why? Because self-control is not easy. Self-control is very hard. And it can be so strenuous and so overwhelming to the point where you feel like, is this even possible? You know, when life gets especially stressful, when tragedy comes upon your life or when crisis hits you, it's in those moments especially that you just feel like, gosh, I just want to let it go, right? I just want to let loose and just not be in control and not just compose myself. I just want to hulk out and just leash it out because then maybe I can just breathe again, but I feel like I'm suffocating. Pastor, yes, I know by having self-control, it's protecting my family, my loved ones, but there are times where maintaining my self-control feels like I'm going to self-destruct. How do I deal with that? Well, let me see if I can answer that by going to my final point, the Savior who provides self-control. If there is anyone who was constantly tempted to where he would lose his control, it was Jesus. Again, if there was anyone who was constantly tempted to lose his self-control, it was Jesus Christ. Why? Because the consequences that would have resulted if he did lose his self-control, right, would have been far greater than any other consequences of any of us losing our self-control because the curse that would have been unleashed would have exceeded just beyond family, community, or even city. It would have been a cosmic curse where things would have been totally lost, totally broken, totally hopeless if Christ lost his control. But thankfully, he did not. Listen to what it says in Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. Jesus was constantly bombarded by temptation. Every temptation known to man and even unknown to man, right? He was tempted all the time so that he would give in to sin, that he would lose self-control. But as we just read here, he did not. And as a result, he became our eternal high priest. Now, what in the world does that mean, high priest? It means because Jesus never gave in to sin, because he never lost his self-control, he now permanently positioned himself between us and God, establishing a forever reconciled, restored relationship with God. And from that position, he satisfied the greatest need of all, our need to have a loving fellowship, relationship with God forever. That is what the gospel teaches us. And the way Jesus pulled this off is by taking on an enemy he did not need to have. The way Jesus became our high priest, establishing this relationship with our God, is by taking on an enemy he did not have to have. Let me explain. You know, Jesus, he never had to face indwelling sin. He never had to fight his flesh. You know why? Because he didn't have any. I don't mean like he didn't have a body. I'm talking about he didn't have a sin nature. He didn't have the enticement of the flesh inside of him that he had to try and restrain from connecting with the devil and the world. He didn't have it. Now, of course, by saying that, that doesn't mean that he didn't have the other enemies. For surely he did. He did have the enemy of the devil and the world, but he didn't have the flesh. Now, some of you guys are hearing that, and you're thinking, well, that's not fair, pastor. Here we are. We have to fight the world, the devil, and our flesh, but Jesus only had to face the world and the devil. That's just not fair. And you're right. It isn't fair, but not because of the reason that you think, because whether you realize it or not, Jesus did have another enemy. He had a third enemy. It wasn't the flesh. You know who it was? The father, the father, consider what it says in Isaiah 53, starting in verse eight, we read by oppression and judgment. He was taken away, yet who of his generation protested for he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And listen to what it says. Yet it was the Lord's will, the Father's will, to crush him and cause him to suffer. Jesus not only had to endure the temptations of the devil, he not only had to face the rejection of the world, but he had to face the condemning wrath of his Father, the one person whom he loved more than anyone, and yet was treated as if he was the Father's greatest enemy. And here's the thing, as we just read, Jesus did nothing to deserve this treatment from the Father. Which is another way of saying Jesus didn't have to be treated as if he was an enemy of the Father, but yet he voluntarily allowed himself to. Why? So that you and I, who should be treated that way by the Father, won't. But instead, will be treated the way Jesus should have been treated, but wasn't as the only begotten child of God. You see? That is what the gospel teaches us. This is what Jesus dying on the cross means. Which means Jesus went to the cross (coughs) because he maintained his self-control. And the reason why he maintained his self-control, even though it literally meant his self-destruction, is because of his love for you. Your creator, your God, your king, maintained his self-control, even though it meant his self-destruction, out of his love for you. (coughs) And when you understand that, that will give you perspective. Especially in moments where you feel like maintaining your self-control feels like you're going to be destroyed. You know that is an utter lie, right? Because you know that whatever destruction you feel your flesh is threatening you with by saying, if you don't give in, you'll be destroyed. You know that's not true because Jesus suffered that destruction for you in his self-control, you see? And when you grasp that, now you see. That self-control isn't as intimidating, it isn't as impossible, and it isn't as hopeless as sometimes you may be tempted to think in the darkest and hottest moments where you're tempted to just let it go, you see? This, my friends, my brothers, fathers, is how you develop the self-control that your family desperately needs. It's by remembering and relishing the self-controlled love of Christ for you so that you would not experience the destruction that your flesh is threatening you with empty threats because Jesus took it away from you, you see? This is how we become the dads that our children needs us to be. And let me just spread it out. Not just dads. This is how we Christians are able to be the human beings that this world needs us to be. It all comes back to the love of Christ evidenced by his self-controlling love for you do you see that do you believe that fathers i hope you do and may your family be blessed because of it happy father's day let's pray father we thank you so much for the self-controlled love of your son that is really a reflection of your amazing love for us god we pray that as we celebrate this father's day that we would take heed to the words that we have just heard and that it would inspire and motivate us to have the mindset of a lifelong warrior, a fighter who will not allow the flesh to overpower and overrule us. Help us to be wise, help us to be vigilant, help us to be watchful so that we would be fathers who truly live out holiness that is good for our family, a self-controlled life, that brings blessing upon blessing that you have given to us through your son. Help us to remember these things as our children are under our care and as we seek to be an example to them as they go their own way one day. Father, give us the strength of your love to serve your beautiful children that you've entrusted to us faithfully all the days of our lives. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We're not gonna give God his time.